Divine Truth Events These are events and presentations by Jesus and Mary. This presentation is part of the general question series, and it is a question and answer session from people in Kentucky. Presented by Jesus on the 7th of September 2013 in Kentucky, New South Wales, Australia. And this is part two. Okay, let's look at this issue of forgiveness that Hiroko raised. I always try to put an E in there. Forgiveness is not possible without you going through some processes of some kind. A lot of people believe it is possible to forgive somebody without going through a whole series of emotions. But generally it's not possible to either forgive yourself, nor is it possible to forgive another person without going through a whole series of emotions. Now, as most of us know, um, we generally start off in denial as our first port of call. (laughs) In other words, whenever we have any problem with another person, we usually deny we have the problem. We say, oh, no, I don't really feel like that. I'm okay with them, you know. They've just done something that's caused you to be mad, as mad as you could be, but you're okay with it now. You know, you got over it. And a lot of the times, all we've done with that is that we've just avoided a process that we need to go through. But also what we do is we like to get back to denial. We like to get back from a place of awareness to a place of denial when we know that going forward is going to get into some darker emotions in particular. So so after denial, generally we, we go into some anger, but usually the anger doesn't start right there and then because we go uh, we we become aware of some addictions generally and remember it's the addictions that when they are met cause us to feel nice and when they are not met cause us to feel angry so this is when the addiction is not met and when the addiction is met we go into this place of Oh, it's so lovely. Should we call it... Uh, joy is not the right term. It's a... Quotations? Happy. Should we call it? Now, when we are going into the addiction getting met all the time, we are totally in denial generally. But when we start seeing the addiction causing anger, we are at least becoming aware that anger exists. Right? Which is the next step, really getting into our anger. Now, anger always covers... Okay, so always covers fear. Whenever you have a fear that where the addiction is normally being fed, then, of course, where we are feeding the fear with an addiction, no anger gets present. But as soon as we feed the, we, the addiction no longer can cover the fear, then anger becomes present. Right? 
And then under the fear, of course, is the grief. Now, you've seen me write that many times, right? That is the process of forgiveness. You can't forgive somebody without going through all of that. You can think you can, but you can't. It's an emotional process, getting out of denial, going through all of the different things you need to go through until you get to the causal grief. When you release or experience the causal grief, immediately thereafter, you have forgiven. So after that, you will have forgiven. And if you've believed you've forgiven before you've done that, you haven't forgiven And in fact, you'll find that out in the future sometime that you have not forgiven. In other words, something will get triggered, something will come up and then you'll realise, oh, I'm really still in the angry phase or I'm in the denial phase. We have strong desires to avoid this process. We want to be able to skip from this place into this place. which is that after the grief has been released. We want to go from there down to there. Most of us would like to do that. That's that's the purpose of our saviour, right? The purpose of our saviour is to get us out of denial and into happiness without having to do anything in between. And this is the one reason why we revert to teachings and doctrines Ideas, concepts, beliefs and methods that all get us to avoid the hard bit in between. But you cannot forgive somebody without going through this process. So it's not going to be possible to forgive. Now, the beautiful feeling that ends up after when you truly forgive is this happiness and joy. You, you actually feel that. If there is a taint of anger in you still about what the person did, or then that's indicating that forgiveness has not occurred. Not occurred. Right. And that you need to be more honest about the middle bit. This bit here. This is the bit that most people don't want to do. And that's the bit that most of us... If you think about many of you who have listened to the teachings of God's truth from myself for the last five years, many of you are still avoiding that process on different issues. you know. Yeah. And, it, and yet I say it over and over again. It's one of those things I say over and over again, isn't it? You go, oh, I that. The group up there, when I start saying this process, they yell it out, they yell it out, they yell it out. <laughs> and, uh, and in the end, very few of them are doing it. And, you know, we have great, we have what we believe are strong motivations to not do it. So, for instance, there are whole belief systems helping us to avoid certain parts of this process. So, for example, you, you know the reincarnation belief system? That, that's being constructed to avoid a lot of this, actually. All right. 
a lot of people were angry about what the world's like. And so what they, instead of feeling that anger and feeling what, why they feel that anger, they come up with an explanation as to why the world's like it is that it helps them avoid their anger. Does that make sense? It comes up, they construct a belief that causes them to get out of having to experience that emotion. And these belief systems get perpetrated over and over again from generation to generation, supporting the avoidance of a specific emotion. The idea of a saviour has been constructed to avoid huge amounts of anger, huge amounts of grief, huge amounts of fear. If I can give an example. The idea that you can be saved by somebody else's actions that you don't have to take any part in, if you think about it, allows you to believe that you don't need to do something for yourself. You've just got to believe and you'll be saved. When you do that, you don't think you have to do anything to go from denial to happiness. It helps you skip over all of those emotions. But it, and in particular, it helps you skip over things like anger. Anger that you've got to do it yourself, even though somebody else, you know, even though the environment put these emotions in you, you've got to let them go. Anger about that. Fear that you'll never be able to do it. Fear of your own grief. Fear of the grief itself, you know, the, how the grief feels. Fear, a feeling of anger about the injustice of having to do it yourself when other people did things to you. Right. If we look at the uh, false belief about... Um, there's another Christian false belief about God will come at Armageddon and destroy all the wicked and all the righteous will be saved. That, that avoids huge amounts of anger. Because the people who believe that want the wicked to die. Right? God doesn't want the wicked to die. God wants the wicked to be redeemed. Right? But the people who believe that belief want the wicked to die. So that's a lot of rage if you want someone to die. Right? And you're avoiding that rage by having that belief. Right? So all of these belief systems are linked to the avoidance of these particular emotions. We can't jump from denial to happiness without going through these emotions on any single subject. So at some point we've got to choose to go through that process. And that's the problem many of us face, choosing to go through the process. We're choosing to not go through the process a lot of the times. If we choose to not go through the process now on earth and we pass, we'll find ourselves totally embroiled in the process with very little idea or concept intellectually about how to take ourselves through the process. And the reason why that is is because when you pass into the spirit world, generally you become a lot more sensitive to what's happened to you emotionally. And you have a tendency to live in your belief systems much more strongly than you do here on earth. And the reason why that is, is because here on earth, we have these other things tempering our conduct, controlling our conduct. And those things that control our conduct are, what will everybody think of me if I do that, for example? 
what's the social norm? In the spirit world, there are not many social norms to accept. And so if you have some rage that you want to express towards a person in the spirit world, you're not going to accept the social norm of not doing it. You're going to go and do it. And then you'll be far more conscious, generally, (laughs) that you have the rage. But also far less able to work through why you have it. Because you get the addiction met of expressing the rage without having to feel what's underneath. My suggestion is deal with things now on earth. Let yourself go through this process with every possible thing you're aware of now on earth. If you can do that, you'll find yourself free by the time you hit the spirit world. You'll have a true sense of freedom. And you'll get that freedom probably before you arrive there, even. And you'll feel the happiness and joy that results from that. Now, that is a very quick summary of the process of forgiveness. There was a talk we gave in Brazil called Repentance and Forgiveness. I don't know if any of you have seen that talk. Um, It's a bit hard to listen to because I'm speaking for a little bit and then it goes into Portuguese and then it goes back to English and Portuguese. But a lot of people said when they were listening to that that it gave them time to catch up with what I was saying (laughs) while the Portuguese was happening. So my suggestion is if you want to know more about forgiveness, have a listen to that discussion. And we also then channeled some spirits who had not forgiven the next day. Mary did some channeling that we've, uh, that's on the net as well of spirits who had not forgiven and not repented. And, uh, and we tried to assist them to go through this process of forgiving and repenting for what they had done. And so it's really important to, uh, to have a look at this issue of forgiveness. In terms of your future, forgiveness is one of the most powerful things you can do to change your life. But you've got to understand it. It's not just an idea or a concept of, oh, I forgive you for what you've done to me. And that's it. It's not like that at all. It's an emotional process you're going to have to go through to truly forgive. But if you do it, your whole life will change in lots of different ways. Every subject that you forgive somebody else for what they've done to you on will, will change your life markedly. In the first century, one of the first things I realised was I had to learn how to forgive. Because I had a lot of things happen to me that I, that I wasn't too happy about right, from a very young age. And so I had to learn how to forgive. And I realised that the average person had no way of knowing how to forgive. And I knew that forgiving was about releasing all of the emotions that were unloving about the other person. All of the emotions about what they'd done, what you perceived they'd done, all the emotions about the effect of what they've done, all of those emotions had to be relieved. And once you relieved those particular emotions, you got to the point where you could love them without feeling anything negative towards them at all. Now, I had to experiment with that. And I'd suggest for you to experiment with it as well. Just choose one subject that really upsets you. So, I don't know if you've got any ideas about what subjects really upset you. So, Matt, what's yours? If you want to... Is a mic around? Yep. 
Thank you. Um, my dad leaving me. Yep, okay. Yeah. So your dad leaving you. You don't know all the circumstances around it because it happened... How old were you? Almost three. Three years of age. Okay. So, so start with that and go, okay, I'm going to get to the point where I forgive my dad for leaving me. All right. And you're going to have to go through this to do it. You understand that? So start with all of the things that you feel why you wanted a dad, why you wanted him with you. Then look at all of the things you felt that you're angry about that he wasn't with you, what he did, yep. yeah. why he left, why he died. Yep. And then go into the fears that you feel about it and actually feel them. And then go into the grief and allow yourself to process through the grief. Now you can see that it's not going to take one day, can't you? It's not going to take one day or even probably one week or one month. But if you're sincere about it, you'll want to find out all of those things. If you're sincere about the process. And in fact, the way God's constructed the process of forgiveness is that you end up completely clear of the problem. Whatever problems that are related to your dad leaving or dying, whatever problem related to it will all be cleared from you. And all the effects of it will be cleared from you after you've gone through the process. So just focus on that one thing for the next six months. Okay. Does that make sense? And just take it through to the end. You'll find your definition of yourself will greatly change. You'll find the way you think about yourself and the way you think about men will change. you find that your confusion about sexual issues will change. you find all sorts of things will change just doing that one thing. Just wanted to ask a question. I've been listening to the um, the Paget message when you and Mary discussing Solomon's message. Solomon's message about faith. Yes. Yes. And you talk about the um, removing um, the causal, mm -hmm. but that the effects are so that you can remove the cause, but the effects are still left behind. I don't think we said that in the in the discussion. Okay. So maybe you've misheard the discussion. Yeah, maybe I have. I, th I think I did say that it's no good addressing um, effects when the cause is left behind. So the opposite thing around. Okay. All right, I'll listen to it again. I've right. listened to it that bit about four times. Did you? And I just found like I wasn't understanding it. Right. Because I thought once the, the cause was gone that all the effects would go... Of as course, well, yeah. but you've got to, the point I was trying to make there was that you've got to choose with your will to allow them to go. Okay. Yeah. So, so, for example, if God has given you some more love and that love has rubbed out of cause within you as to why you believe a certain thing, you still may hold on to the belief because you want to. Yeah. And you, God's not going to rub out anything that you want to hold on to. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. And many of us want to hold on to things. Like many of you, many of us have had all sorts of things happen to us during our life. Like you might have had a partner leave you or cheat on you, and you want to hold on to your anger with him or her. You just want to be angry with them. And, and you might have received some divine love about all sorts of subjects, but while you're wanting to hold on to your anger with him, 
Nothing can happen on that particular subject. And this is, why, this is where we're often in this aspect of anger, you know, where we want to hold on to some false belief that's actually not helping us. It's not helping us with our life, not helping us with our choices, not helping us to change, but we want to hold on to it because we feel justified to hold on to it. Yeah. Yeah. So we did talk about that, the justifications that we use to not use our will in a positive manner. We, we, we want to use our will in a negative manner many times. So, for example, the, the average person who has an argument with their partner wants to use their will to be angry. <laughs> Very few people want to use their will to stop being angry and feel about what the cause of the argument's about. Right? They want to use their will to be angry because angry makes them feel powerful, it, makes them feel, it, makes them, it helps them to avoid their fear and their grief. So they want to be angry. So it doesn't matter how much love you receive in that place, that particular problem is not going to leave you unless you want it to leave you, unless you want to change your belief. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 And God can't do anything with your soul that you don't want to have happen. That's the gift of free will that God gave you. So if you don't want to let go of something, God's not going to help you let go of it because you don't want to. You're going to have to want to, not, not be forced to. Does that make sense? Every time you force yourself even, you're not wanting to. You're just forcing yourself. Now, God can't help you when you're forcing yourself because you don't want to. The soul feeling is, I don't want to. And the soul feeling is the prayer to God. I don't want to. Don't do that for me, is really what you're saying to God. I want to be angry with men. Don't you make me not be angry with men? Does that make sense? That's how we feel, right? Don't, don't you do change me. I want to be angry with men. Let me be angry with men. And while we have that emotion, God can't do anything about our anger with men. Nothing will change. So we might receive some love on, while, while we're in a pure space about other subjects, but on that particular subject, that will not leave us, that effect will not leave us until we want it to change. And there's got to be some reason why we want it to be there, yeah. which is the cause. But we have to want it to change before it's going to change. <coughs> and most of us are not, not honest about what we want. When somebody hurts you, what do you want? Most people, you know, not honest. They want to hurt them back. <laughs> yeah? Not that, oh, I want to forgive them. How, how often is, I want to forgive them, the first thought? <laughs> We've got to be honest with ourselves. Yeah? If we're not honest with ourselves, nothing can change. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that question that Maddie was having there, I, I found myself, like after Dad died... Thinking of the good things why he wasn't there. Yep. You know, um, I don't know. I, I didn't sort of look back to think how how bad it was or sad it was or good things was, that he wasn't here on earth. Yeah. You mean that he was gone? You were happy that he was gone. It's okay to be honest about it. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. yeah. Do you mind saying why you were happy that he's gone? Oh, I kept a lot more skin. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> I kept a lot more hide, I suppose. Yeah. 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 So can you see that that feeling of happiness that he's gone is sort of the storage of the anger? Yeah, and yeah. I just want to his denial too. Some in, well, it, in not looking at the whole picture rather than just that he wasn't there. Yeah, well, storing the anger causes you to avoid the grief. So this is why when you say the words, I, I'm happy that he's gone, that you, sort of, you start almost crying, right? Because all the reasons why you're happy he's gone start coming up. This yeah, is a good do. thing. Yeah. 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 So, so, so the reality is you, if, you, if somebody passes that you don't want that you don't want to be in your life in the first place and you feel happy that he's gone, feel happy that he's gone, but understand that is an anger-based feeling covering over grief. But say to yourself, I'm happy he's gone. Why are you happy he's gone? Oh, because. And, be, and as you start saying the becauses, the reasons, you'll start feeling some of these things. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But see, a lot of times it's our belief that, oh, we're not allowed to do that. You know? We're not allowed to do that. That's not very spiritual, you know. That's not very, you know, together. You feel real guilty about it. Exactly. Really. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. guilt is an addiction to yeah. avoid emotion. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. And guilt is driven by fear, of course. An avoidance of fears. Yeah. In particular. Okay. Mm. So, so what we need to do is even the things that we feel terribly guilty about, you know, all those things we need to acknowledge... And say, this is how I do feel. And when you say that, it takes away the power of the avoidance so much that eventually we start getting into the feelings. So I'm allowed to not cry. <laughs> Often you'll say that to yourself and then all of a sudden you start crying. Yeah. <laughs> Just acknowledging that you're allowed to choose differently gives you the permission to also choose to feel. But you have free will. You're allowed to not cry. You have free will. You're allowed to stay in denial for the rest of your existence. And then the question is, well, do I want to stay in denial? It's not, do I have to? It's, do I want to? Do I want to? Yeah, okay. like, I'm allowed to be angry. You're allowed to be angry. God's made a universe in which you're allowed to be angry for the rest of your life if you want to be. It's not a good feeling, though. No, no. <laughs> the question is, do you want to? <laughs> In the end, right? That's always the question. But, but God made a universe where you're allowed to. You're not going to have very good results doing it, but you're allowed to choose to do it if you want to do it. Right? So you're allowed to make these choices, even choices that are unloving. You're allowed to make them. That's what free will is. There will be negative consequences if you act out of harmony of love with those choices, but... That's what free will is too. The ability to choose these negative consequences. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Thank you, Very good. Thank you. So, so I would... I, you know how you said earlier in private where, where you said you felt a bit locked up? Guilt's locking you up with the stuff with your dad. Does that make sense? This belief that you're not allowed to feel certain things that you actually do feel. So be honest about what you feel. Oh, I was happy when dad died. And then say to yourself all the reasons why you're happy and you'll find yourself getting into some grief pretty quick. Yeah? And then you... So just say it into a mic, yeah? 
And and then that will take him into the forgiveness for his dad? Well, yeah, initially he'll feel the anger, you know, the, all the things dad did to me and I didn't deserve it and, I, uh, you know, and all these things. And then he gets into the fear of maybe dad didn't love me and it was all my fault and all those other kinds of emotions that generally come up. And then you get into the grief of just ha- being treated badly or not being loved and not being cared for, not being wanted, whatever other emotions there are with your dad. And once you feel that, that'll all be gone. And once that's gone, you will have forgiven and that's all you'll feel. That's all you'll feel. Uh, Yeah, yeah, it is nice. It is nice. So in my first century life, when I was seven years of age, my father sent me to a, what would you call it now? It's sort of like a military college. But back then it wasn't that defined. You know, there wasn't very good rules. And there were Roman soldiers who run this college and they had women who they used as prostitutes and their daughters that they used to abuse and they had guys, you, you were put through this course of um, having to do all of these physical things in order to prove your prowess. I was seven years old. Right? I wasn't very happy. Can you imagine? <laughs> I wasn't very happy with the whole thing at all. And the straw that broke the camel's back for me is I saw one of the girls my age being sexually abused by guys my age, right? And the soldiers were making them do it in order to toughen them up and make them desensitise, right? And I just wouldn't go anymore. And in through all of that, I had to forgive my dad for a lot of things. Just a lot of pain and suffering that he put me through in that process. Right? And I realised in, in that place, and it was short, it, by the time I was 12 I realised I had to let it all go. <coughs> if I didn't I was just going to be angry with my father all the time. Yeah. And that anger with my father would define my life. I would make choices, decisions, all sorts of things based around it. And I didn't want to do that anymore. So I had to go through this process and let myself go through a process. Mm. It's a very important thing. And at at that age I I learnt the importance of forgiveness. But I also learnt what was involved. I learned that you couldn't fake it, you couldn't push through it, you couldn't intellectualise yourself into a place where you think you've forgiven, you couldn't make it better when it wasn't better at all, you couldn't avoid the results of everything that occurred, you couldn't. And I also realised that once you'd forgiven somebody, that didn't mean that they would change. They might stay the same. And I had to feel about all that as well, like... The feeling that it was wrong to forgive them when they wouldn't change. You, know, you, imagine, you imagine your own daughter or son being abused by a pedophile and then you having to go through the process of forgiveness. You come out the other end of the process of forgiveness knowing that you've forgiven the person, you're in a state of happiness and joy now with that person, but they still might abuse another child. Uh, you have to have gotten rid of a lot of emotion to do that, don't you? 
Yeah. So, so this is where it's a, it's a very... Like, God puts us through sincere processes. They can't be processes that we manufacture. They have to be sincere processes. So we, na- we need to acknowledge that each process is a sincere process that we need to go through. And this is a process that we're going to need to go through with regard to almost everything that we feel hurt about. Yeah. So, you know, when your wife rejects you sexually, yeah, there's a whole process you're going to have to go through to forgive her. When your husband just comes home and expects you to go to bed with him, there's a whole process you're going to have to go through to forgive him. When it's happened year after year after year after year after year, there's going to be a fair few processes to go through to forgive him. Can you see that? Because there's all this stored up emotion about that. This is why most people in their relationships are not close with each other. Because there's so much stored up emotion that it's like a great big wall between two people. And unless the release of emotion occurs, unless this process occurs, of forgiveness occurs, the stored up emotion between those two people will just be like a barrier, a constant barrier, dictating the rest of their life. And you could think of forgiveness as sort of wiping away the barrier. But remember, the barrier is emotional. It's based on what's going on inside of your soul. It's not an intellectual place. It's a place that you truly feel. And to do that, you're going to have to sincerely go through some emotions and release them and get rid of them out of yourself. And the, it, it takes courage to choose that process. Because a lot of people will tell you that process doesn't work. A lot of people will tell you that it's not, you know, it's not right that you should forgive somebody when they're still doing the same thing wrong. They'll tell you all sorts of things. They'll tell you to not forgive, you know, you should stay angry with them. They'll tell you all sorts of things when you go through this process because the process is going to require some grief. You'll feel some fear. You'll feel some anger. And people will say to you, why are you doing all that for? Right. So there's a lot of judgment about all of that. Yeah. So David? So just with what you're saying, um, when you go through the process of forgiveness with somebody else or towards somebody else, um, can that also help them to confront the issues within them as well, Certainly. especially in a relationship and that kind of thing? Like- Certainly it can help them but it can't be expected that it will help them. No, no. But it certainly can help them. It's like if every single person who'd ever been abused by a pedophile actually went through the process of forgiveness about that particular pedophile and the pedophile was in the spirit world by that stage, then it's bound to have an effect on the pedophile somehow, isn't it? It's going to cause him to see... Every single person firstly projects anger at him so that he knows that he did the wrong thing, every one of them now has shown him that he's done the wrong thing. <laughs> they project their fear, they, they show, they feel their fear. He knows he caused it. They cry about all these different issues. He knows that he caused all that sadness. Right. At some point, it's going to have to touch him. At some point. So it's really a great gift for yourself and the other person, really. Yes, but yeah. stop even thinking about the other person for a moment. <laughs> yeah. True. Because, it, because it's like, 
Every time we think about the other person, we're not usually tuning into this process of what we feel, actually. Sort of like, usually what we do when we're thinking about, oh, how do they feel? No, how do you feel? Because it's your forgiveness process, not theirs. You need to go through the process, not them. They need to go through their own process. Now, a person who's been a pedophile who's abused hundreds of children, he's going to have to go through a pretty big process. Much, much bigger than you're going to have to go through, actually, if you've been abused by him. Because right? all of that pain and suffering that he caused is now in his soul. And the reasons why he did it is in his soul. He's going to have to go through a huge process. It's going to be a very painful process for him. But you've got to forget about his process and focus on yours. You're the only person who can change you. And he's the only person that can change him. You can't, you can't change him. You can only change you. Now, you changing may have an effect on him. But you can't guarantee it will. Usually people who have been abused and who have never abused in their life themselves are in a much better condition than the persons who abused them. So you, you're going to change before the person who abuses you changes, generally. And this is why, you know, generally you see with regard to, like when priests abuse children, you see the children going through their processes as adults, going through these processes of working through all these issues, their anger, their fear, their grief and so forth. They come out and tell people about the whole process. The minister or priest who abused them gets exposed, but then he avoids the entire process. And yet those people who have done that process can get to a point of forgiveness. Mm. Yeah. So it's very important to understand that this is going to be the process of forgiveness for every issue. <clears throat> Does that sound a little scary? Yeah? That's why you're avoiding it. <laughs> Does that make sense? You want to say into a mic? Yeah. <clears throat> it also feels hopeful, AJ. Like, mm. I, have a, I know I have a heap of fear and want to avoid that. But it's also like, it's the first time, not today, but the first times, like, from your guys' teachings that there's actually a different way of doing things. Mm. And, and that literally could change, change the world and every single other thing. Mm. And I reckon in some ways that's like, it's a relief. You know, mm. even if I'm not prepared to do it, it's still a relief to know that it's there. Yeah. yeah. This process, by the way, uh, Mary and I had to engage all the time in the first century, as you can imagine. And two days after my death, Mary was raped by Peter, the person who you know is the Apostle Peter. And she forgave him immediately. She went through that process immediately. So that would have been pretty hard, huh? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Now, he did not repent for it till hundreds of years later. Mm. Mm. He didn't repent for it before he arrived in the spirit world. He arrived, he arrived in the spirit world in the hells. And 
He had to work through the process, his process of repentance. Yeah. Okay, coming down to a right. <clears throat> um, um, feel easier to forgive someone I really connect to, someone um, with me. Mm-hmm. But my parents is harder for me. And it's I, hard to forgive someone you hate. Yes. <laughs> I agree. Yes. It is. And um, because I live in different country, um, I haven't seen my parents five years, mm-hmm. and they want to come this year, mm-hmm. and I'm terrified. Mm-hmm. And but it's also good process to meet them and feel mm-hmm. intense. Yeah. But I, I'm still scared of them. Might hurt even more, and they can't. I can't change them as much as I want to. <laughs> you can't change them, change at, all. them <laughs> at all. So it's almost like it's um, like helpless. I can't do anything. But you can. I... You've got to realise that you're you're in this phase, aren't you, with them? Yeah. 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 Let's let's be probably more honest. It's more probably oh. this word. <laughs> than that one. <laughs> yes. yep. and, and that's how you feel at the moment, mm. right? But you don't want to get out of that place with them, mm. right? And one of the reasons why you don't is because you don't want to go through this process, these two processes, right? Mm. Yeah. So the key is acknowledge that. I am angry. I want to stay angry. I want to punish them for the rest of my life. I, like, say what you is honestly the truth about the state you're in. Right, And as you go through that, you'll start connecting to some of the grief and the fear that's underneath that rage. And so you'll start connecting to some of these other emotions that will help you eventually forgive them. Yeah. So I was thinking maybe wait till I go and f- finish the rage, then me. That's what I <laughs> excuse like, well, in my here. So it's nothing help because we both... Have you thought, though, that maybe them coming might help you with your rage? Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so terrified. Because they can manipulate Yeah, interesting. Anything. You just went from rage to terrified <laughs> straight away. <laughs> I'm impressed. Yeah, they're coming. Because <laughs> oh, they make me guilt, guilty. Yes. It's and my fault. Yes. Everything I do. Yes. They'll say all these <laughs> things. All these things. And you need to have love for yourself and stand up for yourself and say, no, that's not the case at all. And if you want to believe that, you can get going on your bike. (laughs) And that will help you get connected to some of this rage and anger and let you really connect to it. See, at the moment, what you're doing, Hiroko, is you're just sort of stewing on it. You're not really feeling it. You're just letting yourself stew on it. It's, It's there in you, dictating a lot of your life, guiding a lot of your actions. And you're just stewing on it, stewing on it, stewing on it. That's not good for you. This anger eats you away eventually inside. It's not, it's not good. All of these emotions eventually eat you away inside unless you do something about them. Right? Every one of these emotions affect your body in some way. They cause injuries to your body in some way. They'll cause diseases in your body if you, if you don't do something about them. right? But if you get into them and allow yourself to get into them, then things can change. But what I want to say to you is that you need to have faith in God's process. This is God's way of forgiveness. 
Does that make sense? Just have some faith that you can, if you engage that way, things will change. But things won't change if you don't engage the way. Is that, you can see that? Yeah. So if, when you feel really angry about them, feel really angry. <laughs> like let yourself feel how angry you are about them. And then allow yourself, and then you'll start thinking, oh, what if they're right next to me here? And then you start shaking. And, you, and what are you afraid of? Oh, I'm afraid they're going to guilt me and they're going to make me feel ashamed of myself. And they're gonna... These are all the things you're angry about. And this allows you to feel some of the fear. And then as you allow that to occur, and that comes up, you'll start to cry about some of the things I've done to you. Once you get to that place, you'll start the process of really... Like experiencing the grief, you'll you'll be starting to forgive them then, right? And and to be honest with you, you're not doing it for them. You're doing it for you, because you love you, right? That's hard. Because because that's what forgiveness does is is it does it for you as well as them. That's the beauty of forgiveness is it is it stops the connection between you and the other person. This is what many are avoiding, with particularly with regard to family. If I can just talk about that a bit. At the moment, here's mum. Oops, dress for mum. Don't want her naked. And here's dad. Uh, I don't know about the pants for him, but anyway, <laughs> here's you. Okay, so there's mum, dad, there's you. At the moment, it's like a great big umbilical cord is still connected between you and mum and dad. And that umbilical cord is your rage. Once you go through the rage and start getting into the fear, the umbilical cord will be your fear. And once you go through your fear and into your grief, the umbilical cord will be your grief. And once you've processed through your grief, there is no umbilical cord. You've grown up. Right? You've grown up, you've taken self-responsibility for all of your emotions. You've grown up. You no longer have any connection to that person at all, any at all. It's like, but it's not like there's a wall there because you're completely open, but you no longer have any connection to them at all. You no longer see them as your mother, your father. You see them as another brother and sister who in the past did some damage to you and still perhaps even want to do some damage to you, but you're over it. right? And you can think of them with affection without wanting to, to, them, to, wanting to attack them, but also you don't put up with any crap from them anymore because they're just another person. That's how you see them. See, at the moment, you don't see them that way. The way you see them is that you want something from them. What do you want from them? Ah, yeah, you want love from them. What else do you want from them? Um, security. Okay, safety, yeah. yeah. What else do you want from them? Um, I think I want them to decide what I do. Oh, you want them to be me. responsible for you, yes. <laughs> yes, you want them to be responsible. Yeah. yeah. 
This is all good. <laughs> yeah. What else do you want from them? Uh, actually, I want them to control me, um, because. But how you want to be controlled? Uh, how I want. <laughs> what do you really want from them? Um, so love is true. Safety is true. Yeah. You want them to take responsibility for your life. Yeah. Or for any pain in your life. Yeah. Yeah. And approved. You want them to approve of you. Yep. Good. Yeah. Right. Anything else you can think of off the top of your head that you want from them? Uh, maybe rescue me. You want them to be able to rescue you. So if you mm. run into trouble, you've got mm. a backup. Yep. Yep. Yeah. How many of you feel that way? You run into trouble, you've got to have someone as a backup, <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay. Now, while you want all of those things from them... And I might point out to you that actually they're not capable of giving you most of those things in their current state. No. But while you want all of those things from them, here's God up here. Are you wanting any of those things from God? Um, I'm doubting him. Cause yeah, you don't want any yeah, of those things from God. Because I feel he dumped me on sort of... Well, no, he, you yeah. think God treated you the same way as they treated you. Um. Because you've still got the umbilical cord with them. Right. You've still got this cord in between you and them saying, this is what my definition of love is. Oh, okay. really? Yeah. Oh, I don't like that. Now, what's God's definition of love? Is God ever going to rescue you from anything that you've done that's out of harmony with love? No. no. Okay, so rescue's out the door. God's <laughs> definition of love. Oh, no. Is God ever going to make you feel safety when you feel unsafe? Okay. He wants you to feel unsafe, doesn't he? He wants you to feel your feelings. Okay. Is God ever going to take responsibility for your life? No. No, no that's out too. <laughs> Is God ever going to approve of you? Yes. Always. 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 Okay. So here we go. See, once we get rid of that umbilical cord between ourselves and our parents, and we no longer expect even those things from them, we start receiving love from God and start receiving approval from God and feeling it. But until we let go of our parents, that never happens. The majority of us pass from this world at 80 years of age, 90 years of age, and we have still not let go of our parents. Because you know what's one of the first things you do when you hit the spirit world after you've passed? Go and find your parents. <laughs> Right? And why would you do that if you'd let go of them? The people you would go to find would be the people who love you, the people who can help you grow, the people who can help you work through anything else you might have left over to work through. They are the people you'd seek. But see, most of us don't want to let go of this relationship. This relationship is flawed, damaged, it's got all sorts of problems with it, but you don't want to let it go. And, and you think a lot of the times it's because your parents are doing something, but it's not. A lot of times it's because of what you want from them that you're unwilling to give up and grieve about. So when you said you wanted safety, you're unwilling to feel completely unsafe. Yes. When you said you wanted love from your parents, you're unwilling to feel completely unloved by your parents. When you said you wanted to be rescued from your parent, by your parents, you're unwilling to feel they'll never come to your rescue ever again. Right? 
And all of these things we want from them cause the umbilical cord between you and them to remain intact. If we, if we use a mic. Does it make the um, cord bigger and thicker? Well, and most of these things were established in our early childhood generally. It's just that we've never grown up. We've never taken responsibility for our emotions in our life because we've been, we want somebody else to do it. We want the people who harmed us to do it. Right? So, so the reality is all of these things were probably established during our childhood. And, and we have never grown up. We've never let go of them. We, we don't now, instead of seeing them as our brother or sister who's just as damaged as we are, we see them as someone who needs to love us, or has to do this and has to do that and has to do all these things for us. And if they don't, they're a bad mum or a bad dad. That's how we see them. Right? But that's really just defining all of our expectations. Because a lot of the things we want, God wouldn't give us either. <laughs> and God loves us in a pure way, and yet God wouldn't do it. So this is our problem, is that we are holding on to our family relationships so strongly that we never grow up. AJ, can I just ask you, I've got sort of um, the opposite yep. to Hiroko. Um, in, in what way? Well, I've got a brother with a mental disorder mm -hmm. and he lived with he's 50 and he lived with my mum and dad until my dad passed mm -hmm. over mm -hmm. uh, which was about two or three years ago mm -hmm. and the family home got sold mm -hmm. so he had to then move out on his own mm -hmm. so we went and bought a house for him to live in mm -hmm. because he had nowhere to live and, and now he decides not to pay the rent mm -hmm. so then we you know, we struggle to try to pay for this home, um, and we pay for his electricity. Why? Um, sorry. Why? Um, because he has a mental disorder, so and he he uh, has never lived on his own. He's never taken responsibility for himself. Mm -hmm. So I I do try but, to work but with him. Can he watch a telly? Oh yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, he can watch a television. Yeah, and he can sit there and watch a telly for how long? Um, well, I think he might have sold it, actually. He, okay. he sells everything. Yeah. So he's got the bear, bear, yep. like a bed yep. and a washing machine. Yep. Um, and, but continually ringing and asking for $50 or... Yep. So, you know, I just feel that... So, so from a developmental perspective, he's a child, right? Yes. So how would you treat a child who's doing this? Well, that's the... the if your child came every day and asked you for $50, would you give it $50? No. So why are you doing it with your brother? Well, it's not every day, but it's every, say, uh, once a month or okay. once every couple of months. Oh, it's not very often, but yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. But, well, but why yeah. you're but you're renting, you're paying for the rent of his yes, house? Yes, um, we're paying for the payments of the home. Yeah. You know, yeah. like it's our home, but he's living in it. 
It's your, it's your home. You own it. We bought it for him to live in. So he doesn't own to, it, you do. That's right, to have a roof over his head. Otherwise, he'd be on the streets. So he's not paying his rent to you? Well, it, it was getting directly taken out of his account into ours, but yeah. then he closed his account out so he could have the rent money. Yeah. So he's got addictions. I agree. You know. Yeah. So he's not taking responsibility? No. And what would you do with a child who does that? Well, that, that's the hard, that I, this is where I'm finding it very difficult because if of you had his a three-year-old child, if you had a three-year-old child yep. who wasn't taking responsibility, yep. what would you do? Well, I wouldn't give it to him. Right. I wouldn't give him the money. Right. So, am I doing? But uh, I'd feel maybe I'm doing the wrong thing by having the house for him. I you don't know. You, this is. You certainly are. This is where it's not loving. Um, I thought it was... I felt, first of all, it was loving, you know, to look after him. It's loving to look after him as long as he has gratitude for being looked after. Yeah. If he, if he doesn't want to pay for the rent, but he could pay for the rent because he gets an allowance, yeah. which he does from the government, right? He does, yes. And, and he's not willing to pay rent, which everybody else on the planet has to do. That's right. And, That's right. And he has to look after himself at some point. He's looking after himself in other ways. Yes. He's obviously getting food for himself and eating and he's doing other things to look after himself. Yep. So you've taught him that it's okay for him to not look after himself financially. Well, this is it. My dad and my mum have probably, and I'm following suit. I agree. And I'm following exactly what um, my father was doing. I agree. And um, I'm and just realising... And you terribly guilty for what reason, if you stopped? Uh, because I've... I don't want to see him, um, you know, go into a mental institution. Yeah, but why? Why don't you want to? Because I probably don't want to feel... About what? Um, the, the grief associated with all of that. Why would you have grief about it? Because uh, I have been in there. Uh, yeah. He has been in those places and I have been in there. Yeah. And I've been in Long Bay Jail with him. Yeah. Um, I've and been why would through... you feel grief about it? Because they're not nice places to I be. I agree, I agree. But, but why would you feel grief about it? Because... Um, so I wouldn't feel grief about that. Yeah, because I felt that he was someone I loved. He was a brother. So I have other five other siblings and they won't have a thing to do with him. And no wonder. Yeah. <laughs> you know what the problem is? The real problem that you don't want to face? Yep. You've still got an umbilical cord with your parents. Okay. Yep. Yeah, and that's why I thought and it was And you're being the completely to... driven yeah. by what your parents who are now dead, right? Yes. Yes. But you're being completely driven by your connection to them yep. to do things which would not be loving to do to any person. Yeah. But you are accepting their definition of what is loving and you've got an umbilical cord still connected with your parents even though they died. Mm. That's the reason why you're doing it. You're doing it to please your parents. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You ask questions that you don't want to hear the answer to yeah, it. But anyway, okay. that's fine. No, well, thank you, AJ. Thank you, yes. It's... Why do you feel any guilt at all? You've done your best. Mm. You've done it over many years now. It's not working. He's mm. taking advantage of you. Mm. you. You have to draw the line in the sand somewhere. I guess because it's family and that's my thing. This is family. what I'm saying. Yeah. What? There's no yeah. such thing as family. Yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> 
And I'm, beca- I'm beginning to realise... Um... Well, can I clarify that there's no such thing as family? We are all family. Yeah. You wouldn't treat me this way. If I rented your house and then I'd refuse to pay the rent, what would you do with me? Well, I'd want to know why yeah, before I kicked you out. You'd want to know why? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I couldn't kick you out. I disagree. You would yeah. kick me out. Yeah. Well, we have had that happen to us, haven't we? Over time. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So it's, it's definitely not a loving thing that so I'm doing. So why would you I treat me differently that. than treat your brother? Why? Because you have an unloving viewpoint of what is family. Mm. That's the only reason why you're doing it. Yeah. Okay. Does that make sense? And you don't see that at all at this point. You're saying I have an unloving viewpoint of family? Of what is family. Your definition of family is flawed. Okay. And pretty much most people's definition of family on this planet is flawed. There's going to be a time in your future, you know, that you might not never see your mum, dad, sister, brother for a thousand years. Not because you're angry with them, but because you just don't see them because you're not interested in the same things. And you will actually start seeing every single person around you as your sister, brother, mother, father. You won't. You, why do you have a favouritism towards your family? I guess it's it, it's like an addiction. It is. Maybe. I agree. Yes. It is. It's it's. I'm I'm realising now that it has been an addiction. Yeah. So what do you get out of it? What do you get out of this definition of family? Well, um, I guess I always thought I had. I was getting love, but I'm, I'm definitely not. Well, you're definitely not getting love no. from your brother. No. <laughs> no. Def- definitely so what not. else do you get out of the definition of family? There's got to be something else because you're still doing what you're doing. So there's got to be something else you're getting out of the definition of family that you're holding on to. Maybe fe- a feeling of um, being wanted. You don't feel that feeling very strongly, though, do you? No, not no. really. So, so now, now what you're doing is you're not feeling and you're guessing. Mm. <laughs> Let yourself feel what you get out of it. Probably a process I'm going to have to go into. I think. I no, no, you can do it right now. What's the thing you get out of it? <laughs> I can't. Uh, yeah. Can you see you must get something out of it? Otherwise, you wouldn't do it. In the past, you've very rarely done anything that you don't get something out of. <laughs> so you must be getting something out of this. What do you reckon it might be? I've already given you many clues as to what it is. You get the world and your parents' approval doing this. And you would think you're a terrible person if you don't do it. Well, the one thing I... I don't get approval from the family. 
They no, are so no. against... Um, you I know, agree. The, the rest but you of get my... it from mum and dad. This is what they did all of their life until they died. Yeah. You're but... repeating what they did. Yeah, I, I realise I am repeating, but, but they never liked what they did either. No, I agree, but they did it for the same reason. Approval f- to From, from to society, from, from the world generally, from this is what a parent does, the definition of what a parent or a good person does. That's what you're holding on to. So, uh, That's what I said. The umbilical cord hasn't broken (laughs) on the subject of approval of the world. So maybe I'm just trying to be the good person. Well, yeah, but it's it's your definition of a good person or more specifically your parents' definition of a good person. Yes. It's not God's definition. No, definitely not. Yeah. No. I'm realising that. Because, like, if a person's intellectually disabled, they are capable of thinking like a three-year-old child, generally. Yes. Now, a three-year-old child is capable of actually understanding some basic things, such as that if it spends more money than it gets, it's going to be in trouble. A three-year-old child is capable of understanding that. I understood it when I was three. Yeah. I, I, I guess, too, I don't have much faith in the system. Like, See, now you know, you're coming up with the excuses. Yeah, I know. Yeah. The excuses. Know. See, the yeah. system has been created in such a way to correct problems like this to, to a degree, in the sense that if your brother had to experience for a short period of time at least what it's actually like in the world if he doesn't take responsibility for his finances, do you think that he would then want to take responsibility for his finances? He would have a... He'll have a much stronger desire to take responsibility then, once he's experienced it, than he will with you rescuing him all the time. That's the reality. Yeah. Every time you rescue him, you teach him that he's allowed to do anything he wants and you'll rescue him. Yeah. And you don't like it. You're not doing it for love. No. Well, I'm realising that now. You're doing it for approval. Yeah. And that's not love. No. No, no definitely not. Yeah. No. So you're not doing it for a loving reason. You're doing it for a fear-based reason and, of course, it's going to result in more pain for him and you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you don't want to come to terms with what is going on here with the family. Yeah. You want to believe you're over it. You want to believe that, you don't, that you're your own person and that you've got none of your mum and dad's definitions. No. And it's not no, true. No, no, that's right. It's not true. Your very life is being governed by some of these definitions. Definitely. That you have yet to let go of. Yeah. You see? And this is, what, this is what we do constantly. We, we convince ourselves that we're actually developed as an adult. But you know, an adult, a fully developed adult from God's perspective, is a person who takes personal responsibility for everything. Takes personal responsibility and is loving in every situation, no matter what anybody thinks of them. No matter whether the world disapproves, whether their family disapproves, whether their friends disapprove. They still live in harmony with love and truth every single time. That's what a person who's got a relationship with God and who, from God's perspective, is growing up. The majority of the people on the planet are not growing up. I meet 80-year-olds every day, totally not growing up. They're just immature children. Yeah, it's funny because uh, it was only um, the day before yesterday he rang and asked for $100 and for the first time I said, no, I can't give you any more money now Mm -hmm. and he actually said he understood 
the reality is, so, because of his disability, he's going to understand better than the average adult in the same right. situation is going to understand. Yes. I Bec- yeah. Right? I find he does have um, quite a lot of understanding on different things. Definitely. It can be quite surprising. Definitely. Yeah. He, he knows that he can get away with certain things with you because... And, and to be honest with you, a lot of it's to do with the spirits with him rather than him himself. Yeah. Like he's choosing to do specific things because the spirits with him know they can get away with it with you. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm. And so they don't give her a ring. She'll give you some. Yeah. Like stop, stop the account. She'll still have you in the house. Yeah. And there's no consequence. But in God's universe, the way God's created everything in the universe, there is always consequence. So you're preventing the consequence through your actions, which is not a loving thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. And once he feels that consequence, you might find, he, you might find one week later he decides to pay the rent. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 No, thanks, AJ. And, and this is the thing that we need to also learn with our children because yep. your brother's actions are very similar to the average three-year-old or four, five, six-year-old, seven-year-old child who's totally manipulating their parents, mm. totally pushing them around, totally getting them to do what they want all the time. And the parent bends over backwards because they're addicted to the concept of family. Mm. They're addicted to the concept of what makes me a nice mum, what makes me a good dad. And their addictions to those concepts, which are all false, drive most of their behaviour. It's not anything to do with love. It's not like... Do you think the average parent who goes out every single night taking their child to basketball, football practice, music practice, do you think they want to do that no. after they've gone to work for, four, to, for eight hours during the day? Do you think they want to do that? The average parent doesn't want to do that. No. Why are they doing it? Because they're addicted to the concept of what makes them a good father or mother. Mm. And in the process, they let their children just control the rest of their lives until they're 20. And a lot of times beyond that. Mm. That's why now, you look on the earth, now there's a lot of 30-year-old males still living with their families. Why are they still living with their families? Because it's great. You don't have to grow up, right? You still get everything. Your mum, mum still washes your clothes and makes your meal for you. and You don't have to take any personal responsibility. Boy. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and, these, and these are all the definitions of... And we do it, the reason why we do it is because we, we have the addiction. So the reason why you're doing it is because you have the addiction, not him. In fact, I feel that his, his addiction would be corrected very rapidly given his mental state in comparison to the average adult if you had actually acted in more harmony with love. Does that make sense? Yeah. Whereas the average adult would have a big spit and get all angry and upset and you know, accuse you of all the things that <laughs> you're afraid of being accused of um, by taking some action that's actually loving to yourself and to them. Yeah. You had a question? Uh, you have a question? Yeah, uh, yeah just with the, the other siblings not having anything to do with the brother, is that them just rebelling against the umbilical cord with the parents? Well, there's a lot of things. Yeah, rage with their parents for what their parents have done. But also there's a lot of fear involved in stuff to do with mental illnesses or, or some kind of illnesses that are relating to the development of, of the child. And there's a lot of fear involved in that for a lot of people and they don't want to even acknowledge 
And in years ago, what used to happen is that if a person uh, was born in the family who developed slowly or didn't develop at all, generally what they would do is they'd put them in some kind of asylum and just not even acknowledge them as their child anymore because there's huge amounts of community-based shame and other, other emotions. So, you know, but, but what the rest of the family feels is immaterial because you can't change them. Yeah, but would they still have that the umbilical cord similar, still wanting the approval? Of from course, the parents, but, but, but still... it's more based upon rage right. rather than yep. approval. Yep. I'm angry with mum and dad for having a child that was, you know, that, that was poorly developed. Yep. Right? I'm ashamed of being a member of this family who has a child that's poorly developed. Those kind of emotions often then cause the rejection, the opposite feeling. So instead of seeking approval, you, you seek the opposite thing. You don't want to even know the family or something like that as a result. But still, the definition of the family is driving the interaction. That's what I'm saying. The majority of us don't want to give up our family. <clears throat> There's no such thing as our family. There's only one family, God's family, of which you are a brother or a sister. You don't have any children. God has children. You created the bodies for them. They're not your children, they're God's. You don't have a mother or father. The only mother and father you have is God. God created your soul, that's your mother and father. Oh, your so-called mum and dad did was create bodies that you got into. At some point in your future, you will actually feel it like that. All right? But there's a huge amount of resistance on this planet to feeling it like that. There's a huge amount of resistance. We want to have ownership of a family. We even want to own our own children because we believe they're our own. We believe that we did some magical thing to create them, which often only took five minutes. <laughs> uh, how much design do you reckon God put into the soul in comparison to that? Like, honestly, we, we are so arrogant. We, we believe, you know, we have, the, we have this belief that we own our children just from a, having sex. We then own them. Like, anybody can have sex. And why does that give you the right to own them? They're not even yours in the first place. The soul comes from God. Like, it's God's creation. God's their father and mother. The reason why we have most of these definitions about family is because we're holding on to specific emotions about family that eventually, at some point in the future, we'll need to confront and release. Yeah. And honestly, they harm our society so much. They harm our society so much, these concepts of family that we hold on to. But you think about it. You walk along the street, you see a, a child being, being pummeled by its parent, like violent abuse. What do you do? Say something. No, the average person doesn't say anything. No, walk straight past. The average person says, they're the mother. She's got the right to do that. None of my business. None of my business. That's what the average person does. 
isn't it? The average person does nothing. Right? What do we do when an adult gets pummeled by another adult? What do we do then? We call the police. We call the police. And we will be even a witness in a court case that might even eventuate in the person who did it going to jail. Right? But if we see a child getting smacked by its parent, what do we do? Nothing. And the reason why we do nothing is because there's a society definition of family that we have accepted, or if not accepted, we feel we have to accept. Can you see that? That's why we do nothing. And, it, and that one issue, like how many children grow up to be adults? How many of these children, every single one of them, grow up to be an adult? who's had violent abuse in, in its childhood, right, that we've all overlooked because it's normal. Right? But then when they become an adult, they've got to somehow understand that it's not right to hit somebody else. How are they going to understand that? We've just told them for the last 20 years that it's okay for them to be hit any time they they, that mum and dad decided. That's what we've taught them. So how do we expect them then when they're 20 to stop hitting somebody else when they're not happy? How can we expect that? We can't, you see. And, and this is all because of our definition of family. So if you think you've got no held on definition of family, I'd suggest that you need to have a good look at your denial. Because <laughs> all of us have these definitions of family that we've got just holding on to, holding on to, holding on to. We're okay with society holding on to them. And yet, and yet many times it results in the abuse of children, abuse that we would not accept if it was happening to an adult. We, we accept it happening to a child, but we cannot accept it happening to an adult. Now that's hypocrisy, is it not? And in fact, it's worse than hypocrisy because a child can't defend itself in any way. And yet we allow it. So why do these things occur? Because of our definition of family. Like, we think that it's not right to take a child away from its parent. Why do we think that? It's not its parent. Who's its parent? God's its parent. Right? So it's not its parent. God's its parent. So why wouldn't we take action to, as a community to take the child away from an abusive parent. Why wouldn't we take that action? It's only because of our definition of family. Yeah. That we don't, we don't take any action. Yeah. Many of us, all of us, have definitions of family we're not letting go of. We have definitions of family in terms of relationship, mum and dad relationship, that we want things from them. Right? Here's us. We want things from them. We want to believe things about them that we don't want to let go. Yeah. Unless we see that there is this sort of umbilical cord <laughs> driving a lot of our life and a lot of our decisions and a lot of our day-to-day -day decisions in normal life Unless we see it's there, we will never get out of the denial of it, let alone progress into the place where we understand that God's our father, God's our mother, we are all brothers and sisters, no one has the right to hit another. 
No one has the right to harm another. It doesn't matter if that other is a child that they created the bodies for or not. Okay. So this process, the reason why we started with this process of forgiveness is that most of our forgiveness has to occur with our family. Because that's where most of our damage occurred. And that's where most of our forgiveness needs to happen. Right? And when we hold on to these definitions of family so severely, we don't actually face the truth of what happened in the family. We don't face that truth. So in other words, we convince ourselves that it was okay. How many of you have said to yourself at some point in the past... Yeah, mum and dad did that, but they didn't know what was... You know, they... You know, like, I reckon all of us have said that, haven't we, at, at some point? Oh, but, you know, you've got to understand, right, how hard it was for them, or you've got to understand that, you know, they didn't have any development, you know, they didn't know, they weren't educated. You've got to understand, you know, we come up with, like, a thousand reasons why it, it was okay for us to get belted, Right? And it hasn't damaged me that much. You've got to be joking. Like, like, how do you feel when an adult belts you? As an adult. And that's how you feel as an adult when an adult belts you. What do you think you felt when you were a child and you got belted? Quite a lot more, I would suggest. Right? Including terrified about the adult belting you. Right? And yet we go, oh, no, that's all okay. <laughs> That's all in the past now. You know, I've forgiven them. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, Kenny, can I just address your, your outwardly spoken words of yes, yes, no, no, and all those kind of things? Can I address that? Yeah. Because, because what you're doing is not considering the other members of the audience. All right? And while you may agree with what I'm saying, <laughs> um, you're not considering that every time you agree, you're not allowing another person to disagree. Does that make sense? When you're, out, when you're outspoken about it. So, does everyone get that? So if I'm going, eh, yeah, that's true, that's true, yeah, yeah, and while someone's talking all the time, and everyone around me goes, no, that's not so true, I don't agree with that, <laughs> I'm basically almost imposing my will upon them to agree with me. Mm. Whereas in, in a group, the kind thing to do would just be to f listen, feel, have your own assessment. Mm. Thanks, yep, thanks. Just in that <coughs> last bit there, AJ, about, um, you know, people say that they're, you know, I've forgiven them and all that kind of stuff. I've had many interactions with people that are definitely 100% sure that they've gone past it all. <laughs> yep. You know, and, and and they haven't begun, and probably. they haven't even started. Yeah, yeah. And, and and I, I find it I find it challenging because they're completely oblivious to the way they're feeling. And well, I feel the primary reason why a person does that is because in amongst all of this part here, where we said the anger, the fear, and the grief, there's there's what we could lump together and call pain, yeah. right? And, and so what does the average person want to do with pain? Deny, right? 
And what's the best way to deny? Addictions. To say you've already done it. <laughs> or like when I speak to someone and they say, oh, you know, I talk about, I talk about divine truth quite often, about my own experiences with it. And then people turn around and say, oh, I've done a lot of pain crying before. And I'm like, you haven't even touched it yet. Yep. What you need to. Oh, but I've done so much, you know. And it's yep. like, well, you've done a lot of this other bit, but you haven't well, gone. Well, what a lot of them have done, see, over the pain, remember, is the anger. And what a lot of them have done is had a big spit. Tantrum. Yeah, tantrum. Yeah, yeah. But let's call it a tantrum, shall we? Because that's what we'd call it if a child did it, yeah. right? And that's where most of our crying's been. And that's where there's a lot of pain too, isn't it, in that? Well, tantrum phase too, isn't well, it? Well, you're not getting what you want. Yeah. And all you're not doing is you don't want to give up your addiction, so you have a tantrum. Mm. And, of course, there's pain, but it's all a fake pain, really, in the end, because you just don't want to give up the addiction. Mm. Right? So you might cry there, you might have some anger, and then you might have a big cry, but you're just having a tantrum, just like a child does who doesn't get what he wants. And, and the next time the same situation happens, you have another tantrum. And the next time the same situation happens again, another tantrum, another tantrum, another tantrum, another tantrum. You can spend years having tantrums. And the like, reason why I say it is because I get challenged. Oh, like, I find it hard to be around these people that do that because I yeah, want to well, be, be nice to them, but at the end of the day I can't even have a conversation with them. No, that's right. So what I do is I just say, well, you don't want to change and that's okay. Yeah. You just want to keep having tantrums, that's okay, but I don't want to be with you either. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be with a person who just keeps having tantrums. Would you like having a child around you having a tantrum all the time? No, because that's what a person is who does this. They're just like a child having a tantrum. They are a child having a tantrum, actually. Right? No matter how old they are, there might be an 80-year-old child having a tantrum, but they're still having a tantrum and they're still a child. And the reason why is because they're still in this anger phase that they feel like every addiction and every expectation and every demand should be met. And when it isn't met, they have a big cry about it. Right? But that's not going to get you anywhere. No. And you know that when you've gone through all of that differently. You know that when you've gone through this process of anger, fear, grief, you know that everyone who doesn't do that, you can feel that every single person who doesn't do that. Mm. And they can try to convince you otherwise. And but, they do. And they do try to convince you otherwise. But, but at the end of the day, you don't have to listen to it. You just say, no, I can't agree with you. And yeah, that's my challenge at the moment then. Just saying, I can't agree. I can't, oh, like I say, I don't agree, but then I still have this thing that I want to help them. But at the end of the... you can't help a person who wants to deny. Yeah, exactly. That there's no desire in them to change. You can't help a person who wants to deny. You just leave them in their denial. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing you can do to help a person get out of denial and into something else. There's something they can do. They can do something to help them out of denial. But but do they want to? Yeah. If, and this is where, like, my suggestion is spend time sharing truth with people who want to hear it. Because they do initially. Initially, they, I can feel there's an opening to hear something. Yeah, but as soon as you start feeling soon, it close, yeah. you just say, look, you've just closed down. You don't want to hear anymore because I'm not telling you what you want to hear. There's your addiction. I'll catch you later. As soon as I say God, they're gone. Yeah. Like, as soon as I mention God, it's end of conversation. So that's okay. Yeah. Don't have the conversation. Yeah. yeah. And I understand that initially you might feel restricted in your life to doing so, but eventually that's not the case at all. You have hundreds of people who want to hear about what you've got to say. Mm. Yeah, like it's, not, it's not a whole bunch of people. It's only like a few people that 
that yeah. I have these interactions with. And, and in a way, you're attracting it because you're unwilling to say the truth. Look, mate, or... Yeah, or just say, yeah, whoever it is. Of, yeah. You say, look, you don't want to get out of your anger. You want to keep having your tantrums, and that's okay. You want to stay in denial. That's okay too. I can see you're in denial, and I don't really want to spend much time with people who are in denial, yeah. that, if that's okay with you, because that's pretty okay with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. A lot of people ask us, myself and Mary, like why we don't spend time with different people, you know, these different people we've known for a long period of time, and yet we don't spend much time with them. And the main reason is because they're in denial. And we don't really enjoy spending time with people in denial. Yeah. yeah thanks for that. And, and, like, I don't see why you would enjoy it, to be honest. Like, you have to talk about mundane things all the time with them and... You know, you ask them about their cat and how was the weather today, and and then as soon as you go into anything more more meaningful, they're in denial. Yeah. What's the point of that? Like, because I can't really have conversation unless it's based upon desire to have a conversation, yeah. or even desire yeah. to understand. Like, I, I get excitement out of seeing people Grow. start to connect to what they love. Definitely, and uh, and. Yes, it is. You can't help a person in denial or connect no. to anything. Just and I've tried. I've tried to give, you know. Why have you tried? This thing about wanting to save people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, that's if you give that up. You can't give people a saviour. They've got to save themselves. Yeah. Let's say, this is your addiction. Why do you want to save them? To get a sense of feeling good about myself. Why? So that means you're dependent upon somebody else's doing something in order to feel good about yourself. Yeah, as in like I feel like I'm doing some good in the world, I guess, you know. Yeah, no, so there's an addiction. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That you can rec- so work on that addiction, let yeah. it go. Yeah. Work through the, the layers, yeah, yeah. forgive yourself for having that addiction and work your way through yeah. the layers of it and let yourself feel all the reasons why you do it. And you'll get to the point where you feel like, yeah, to be honest, the only person I'll ever want to help is someone who wants to be helped. Yeah. And to be, to be honest, isn't that what free will would actually dictate? Yeah. If a person wants help, that, then you can give it. But if a person doesn't want help, why would you even attempt to give it? You're trying to force them to have help against their will. That's not honouring free will. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is where we've got to be careful too, Fab. Like how much of our own addiction is involved in our disappointment of somebody's response. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, so... People in denial can't learn a single thing, to be honest. The only thing you can help them do is try to get out of denial. The only thing that helps them get out of denial is truth. And if you said the truth and they deny it, what can you do? Yeah. Nothing. You can't bop in the nose and say, you stupid idiot. <laughs> Why haven't you accepted the truth? <laughs> you, know, you can't imprison them and go, you silly person. You know, I'm going to imprison you for the rest of your life until you accept that truth. Yeah, I have had the interactions where I have said it and said that I can't speak anymore and I get that closed coldness and they walk away and angry with me for the rest of the evening. Yep. And, yeah. But you are sensitive to that emotionally yeah. and you're worried about that emotion being projected at you. Yeah, I am. It, it yeah. affects me. Yeah. yeah. And, and even and with men too, like if I confront men directly, I'm scared of the physical attack. Yeah, physical. I, I can protect myself physically, like I, yeah, yeah. but it's an emotional fear yeah. of the attack. Yeah. Whereas if you truly love a person, you'll just state the truth, let them have their response. Mm. If their response is anger, rage, they want to bop you in the nose, well, let them have their response. Yeah. Whatever their response is, 
is their response. It's not, it's not your worth associated with it. So there's obviously a connection between worth your well. worth and what you get out of helping people. Yeah, which is why I haven't really gone somewhere with music because of worth and yeah. in me anyway. Yeah. yeah. So the, the key is to stop trying to help people who don't want help. Yeah. Because there's not much you can do for them until they want help. When they want help, then do what you can. Yeah. Do everything you can, actually. It's quite fun then, actually. Well, it's a, yeah, it's a beautiful process. Yeah. Like, like I said to you as a group last week, it, there was a, such an openness last week to, to talking about different matters that it was just a pleasure to spend four hours with you. Yeah. This week's a bit different. Yeah. There's a lot more closed feelings about this family issue, huge closed feelings about that. About the forgiveness issue, Hughes Coast feelings about it. We haven't even got to the soulmate issue yet. <laughs> so it's a lot harder to share truth with a small... Uh, there's a smaller number of people who want to hear about that truth. When we were talking about the abuse issues, there was a lot of closeness about that. So that means that many of you have had some abuse issues in the past, right? And you know you have. That, but you still don't want to actually feel your feelings about it. You want other people to take responsibility for it. Yes. So that these are things, whenever you feel, you can feel in a room, right, when the room gets all like a bit heavy, mm-hmm. you know, that feeling that starts to develop. That's the resistance. And once the resistance begins in you, you have a whole heap of spirits that come in as well. And they all just come in and go, yeah, you don't want to go about, you don't want to go down that track, man. And, and they're just trying to oppress you in that place. And you feel very oppressed, like you can't speak up, you can't hear, you even find it hard to concentrate on what's being said. All of that is happening because of resistance to, you're in denial. You want to stay in denial about something. Usually it's the topic being discussed right there and then. Yeah. With regard to the issue with family, the majority of you have a large amount of denial. You want to believe in family. You want to believe that the family unit is, you know, mum, dad, son, daughter, generation after generation. You want to believe that's important. And it's not. From God's perspective, it has no more importance than any other issue of love in the universe. (laughs) And God created it as a, as a thing for us to learn about things. So it has importance from that perspective. But your family isn't, it doesn't have any more value than any other person's family. Or less value than any other person's family. And when you would treat your son or daughter differently than you would treat any child that you see that is an indication that you have a flawed opinion of family. When you would treat your mother and father any different than what you would treat any other older person than you, that means you have a flawed definition of family. Because from God's perspective, you will treat all of them the same. Because you love all of them, you recognise all of them are your brothers and sisters. So this is a big issue with family. I've also talked to people recently this week, actually, where we just had you know, lunch with, with people and stuff. And we were talking a lot about how many people are still in a rage with their family. They're still angry with their family. 
are still angry with mum or dad. And, they, and you know what they do? They don't get angry with mum and dad. They don't actually allow the anger with mum and dad. What they do is this. Here's mum and dad. Mum and dad had a whole set of emotions. Right? Here's me. Mum and dad had a whole set of emotions between each other, how they interacted, how they interacted with all of the children. In my case, there's two, myself and my brother and my sister. Right? So mum and dad had all of these interactions going on all the time. Now, I have an emotional response of some kind to all of those things. Right? But I don't want to give up what I want from my mum and dad. So what I want from my mum and dad is I want them to love me, like you said, Hiroko. You want them to love you. You want them to rescue you. You want to know that they've got your back. You want to have their approval and their acceptance. You want to be able to feel that you're safe and secure. And you want you know, all of those things you want from them. So you're wanting all of these things from them. So you have a demand, give me that, give me that. Give me that from them, right? Does that make sense? Now, because I want all of those things from them and they haven't already given them to me, because if they had already given them to you, there's a high likelihood you wouldn't want them as much. right? They haven't probably already given those things to you. You want them though. There's a high likelihood while you're in that space that you won't want to come to any truth about them and their relationship with you at all. Because if you do, you'll have to confront certain things. And if you do that, then the relationship might be broken. And you don't want to give up what you want from them. right? A lot of times we don't want to give up what we want from them. So what we do instead is we see this little situation over here, totally unrelated to our family, where this particular dad has an argument with the woman Right, his wife, we see that situation over, and we want to get involved in that situation. We go, you know, how dare he do that? What's going on with him? What's wrong with him? What's wrong with her? Why does she put up with that crap for all the time? And we get real turned up about it and angry about it, bitter about it. And then we see those two treating their, usually it's the same gender as us, the, the son, their son. How dare they do that? What do they think they're doing? What kind of parents are they that would think they would do that? And then we go on and on and on about that. And you know what we're really going on and on about? We're going on about how they treated the, me. That's really what we're going on about. But we don't want to go on about that because if we go on about that, they might never love me ever. And what you're living on a lot of the times is one emotion. You're living on hope. And to be honest with many of you, with your families, you are hoping for something that is probably never going to happen while you continue hoping for it. You're hoping that they're going to change when they've been, they've been a certain way to you all of their life and you hope they're going to change. You hope they're going to have some kind of epiphany and go, oh, I just realised that I've treated my son so badly. Right? Now, I had my mother call me just two weeks ago now. She rang up, she rang up crying. And she said, I just remembered some things that I did to you when you were little. 
Now, you know how many years it was after I'd processed those things that she went through the process of forgiveness, of repentance about those things? I processed them 13 years ago. The things that she rang me up about. Now, if I hadn't have done that, I would be where I was 13 years ago today. Waiting for her to come to a point where she was sorry. Now I said to mum, hey mum, she was crying, and I said, hey mum, I'm okay about it. I, I forgave you for that 13 years ago. I went through all the emotions about it, I cried about it, I had weeks and weeks and weeks of stuff I had to work through about certain things, <laughs> months of stuff actually, that I had to work about certain things with how my mum's treated me. And I went through all of that willingly at a time when she wasn't even in my life, she didn't even want to see me. Right? And I come out of that, and then she wanted to see me, so I saw her. And then we've seen each other frequently. We, myself and Mary just went down there a month ago or so, and we had a great time with my family. Right? But all that only happened after I dealt with a lot of things. Right? And what we often do is we just live on this hope that them, they, at one point, are going to do all the things that we want them to do that they're going to love us, rescue us, and all those other things that we want from them. Some of them, some of the things we want, God wouldn't even do. And then other things we want, God would always do. But we want them anyway from them. We want them from them so much that we're going to live on hope for the rest of our lives that we'll get that. And you know why many of us don't grieve? Because that hope prevents us from grieving. Do you get that? We hope for the fixed mum and dad so much that we don't ever grieve the mum and dad that are as they are right now or as they were when we were little. We don't ever grieve that. We want them to change so much that we're willing to hold on to the grief until they change. Now, for some of your parents, that's going to be a thousand years' time. Some of them are so steeped in their negative behaviour towards you and so justifying of it that a thousand years' time they might realise what they've done. Now, do you want to wait that long to forgive? That's the question. Because if you do, you're going to be where you were for that thousand... You're going to be where you are now for the next thousand years. Does that sound like a great prospect or... I don't think so. Like, I think it's better if you choose to change now, no matter what they do. But we, because we hope so much, we're hoping and hoping and hoping that things will change. We're hoping, and eventually we just we get to the point eventually where you're willing to go. Okay, I'm just going to give up hope for a bit, and actually feel what happened. And when you do that you start letting go of the concept of family. And when you do that, you start realising that God's your mum and dad for the first time. And that's when you really start having a relationship with God a lot of the times, once you give up the relationship with your mum and dad from an emotional perspective. Does that make sense? Because they're not your mum and dad. They are your brother and sister. Your real mum and dad is God. 
God's who created your soul. She's your real mum. Right. Now, I, when I talk about this subject with many people, and we talked about it a few times this week with different people while we're having dinner or lunch, there's so much resistance to the concept. And yet, if you look at it, if you look at our current family concept, it causes so much damage on the planet. So much damage that we're willing to see a little child be smacked and smacked and smacked, even while it's crying, still getting smacked by an adult, and we don't view it as violence or abuse. Right. When a woman gets raped, she has all sorts of different support offered to her. When a child gets sexually abused, a lot of people just go, oh, that's normal. And that's all because of our definition of family, that that happens. We, we don't have any... We, we need to change our definition of family so we understand all of us are brothers and sisters. No single one of us deserves to be violently harmed or sexually harmed. No matter what I age, and the younger that we are, the less we deserve it. And there's no one who deserves it. But the younger we are, the more serious it is. Not the less serious. And if we had a different definition of family and not lived on hope all the time with our family and we allowed ourselves to process through our emotions with our family and particularly with our mother and father, we wouldn't have all of these false definitions of family and everything. We would let all that go. Yeah. Laura, do you want to... I was just feeling that... Um, just to speak for myself. If I was to um, write a whole list of what I believe family is and what it means to me and what I want from them and work through those issues, mm -hmm. just that in itself would allow the process of if I was to have another child already a good start to be born without any of those projections I, coming onto it. I agree. Yep. I agree. It would be, be wonderful. If every one of us changed our definition of family and just sincerely worked through the emotions, it would be a fantastic result on the planet. Even if nobody wanted to connect to God, it would be a fantastic result. We would, we would have, for the very first time, a presence of natural love on the planet that's really love, not, not our family definition of love, but really love, you know. Where, where we're all loved equally and we're all, we all understand that we all have equality with each other. It would happen for the very first time. So, so I, feel, I feel this process of allowing yourself to go through the process of forgiveness is a, is a major part of that. Because if that doesn't happen, to be honest, there's very little change that can happen on the planet unless all of us learn how to forgive. Because you think about it, you look at it in all of the violence around the world, you know, one group of people kill another group of people, then the survivors of that killing all get upset and they're all angry and they're all like not forgiving. And so what they do is they then go and go to war with the other group of people and then we have this cycle of violence and it's just a matter of who's got the more power, who wins in the end in that struggle. And it shouldn't be like that on the planet. It should be everybody wins. Not who is the strongest wins. Right? But this whole cycle of violence that occurs is because no one's prepared to forgive. No one's prepared to go through the emotions of anger and then into their fears and then into their grief. No one's prepared to do it even with people they love, let alone people that they don't like. 
right? And because of that, very little change happens and we have cycle, a cycle, generation after generation of violent abuse occurring in families, in societies, in the world, between nations. It's all occurring all the time because nobody wants to forgive. And this is how important your forgiveness of others is. Not only for yourself but also of others. Uh, it stops the cycle of this intergenerational cycle that has continued for millennia on the planet. It's the only way to stop it. Yeah. So I would encourage all of you to really you know, think about and ponder about this aspect of forgiveness in your personal life. And sincerely take, take some effort to work through the issues of forgiveness rather than holding on to the tantrums, rather than holding on to the rage and justifying the rage-based positions. Does that make sense? So that's what I'd encourage you to do. Now, it must be getting pretty late, eh? Quarter to six. Quarter to six, yeah. So the soulmate's question, who asked that one? Who was it? What was your name? Oh, no, Sally. Sally? Nelly. Nelly. Well, Nelly, I haven't got to your soulmate's question. And to be honest, it deserves more than 10-minute answer. So um, we're going to have to leave that for the next time we get together. Okay. Okay? Yes, good. Now, one thing I know for certain is that almost in every... uh, Over the next few months, we're going... Myself and Mary are going... Uh, about a month from now, we're going to the USA for 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 eight weeks, I think it is, uh, and we'll see lots of people there. It's highly unlikely that one of them won't ask about the soulmate question, because <laughs> it always seems to get asked no matter where we go. Yeah, and uh, but there are so many parts to that subject as to how to find the soulmate. What do you do? How do you determine who's your soulmate? And a lot of times the questions surrounding things like, well, I'm married, um, how do I know whether my partner is my soulmate? And all those kind of questions. And I have given answers to a lot of those questions before. There are two, um, I think it was 2010 or 10, there, were, there was two seminars that we did two days of just answering questions about soulmates and talking about soulmates. And, and we will continue to answer questions about soulmates because it's becoming more of an issue. We're finding that some people are starting to discover their soulmates, interestingly enough. There's been three, um, yeah, three couples that, we've just, that, we've, that, that myself and Mary knew they were soulmates for the last six years and they've only just found out in the last month. Yeah. And so that's been really interesting watching that happen. So... Um, in terms of how they felt. A lot of them, by the way, thought they didn't like them at all. <laughs> right? So it's interesting too. Um, so, yeah, we'd like to talk about some of those things uh, over the coming months in terms of the questions associated with soulmates. But we're not going to get a chance to do it today. Sorry about that, Nelly. Okay. Thanks for your time again today, guys. Thank you. I know today's subjects were a bit more challenging and uh, I would just encourage you to allow yourself to feel your way through some of the answers that I've given today. Um, We find that 
we go back to the same questions because we're not yet resolved within our hearts to actually engage a process. Many of you are asking the same questions again and again because you're not willing to engage a process to get your own answer to the question. Does that make sense? And what I would encourage you to do is to go through this emotional process because it's only this emotional process that will give you the answers to many of these questions. And then you will not be dependent on somebody else telling you the answer. You, through your own relationship with God, will understand the answer. And this, the beauty of doing that cannot be understated. Honestly, it's far better that you become self-sufficient individuals than it is for you to rely on somebody else to give you answers all the time. So I'd just like to encourage you to focus on the emotional process. Don't keep avoiding this emotional process. Does that make sense? Just encourage you to face and, and be diligent in your own desire to do it. Myself and Mary spend almost all day every day that we have spare. And when I say that we have spare, that we're not talking to people. We spend almost all day every day dealing with emotional processes. And we've done that. I've done that for the last nine years straight. Right? And I started the process 15 years ago, but it was nine years ago that I'd been doing it every single moment of every single day. And still, I'm not at one with God yet. Right? Now, I say that to you because it requires some true desire on your part to become at one with God. It's required from me a true desire to work through these issues with sincerity. And when you think about it, isn't that wonderful? Like the issue, the, this beautiful process with God requires sincerity. You can't do it without sincerity. There's a lot of things on earth you can do without sincerity, right? But you're not going to be able to do this relationship with God thing without sincerity. And so I think that's a beautiful fact that it requires complete sincerity on my part to have a deeper relationship with God. And I'd just like to encourage you to engage with sincerity the emotional process rather than just dismissing it all the time or shifting it onto other things or trying to tell yourself, you know, deny things or t trying to tell yourself things that are not actually true, that you know are not true inside of yourself. That's what I'd like to encourage you to do. So... Uh, I'm not sure when we'll be back here again because uh, we've got, after we leave here, um, we've basically got a couple of weeks home and then a couple of months overseas. Um, so I doubt whether it will be anywhere near December or somewhere December or January before we're back here. Um, but it, in between that time, I'd just like to encourage you to work through those particular things that we've talked about. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah.